John chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 1 through 21. I often like to start my sermons with some sort of an illustration, a word picture to help you uh, focus, I think, to, to kind of put some ideas in your head of things we're going to be talking about. Try to be creative with those. Uh, sometimes I succeed, not always. But uh, today I don't have to because Jesus did it for us. So that I think when Jesus gives you an illustration, you go with it. Uh, and his illustration has to do with sheep and a shepherd. This is the passage on the good shepherd. Had a wonderful time yesterday at the conference. Uh, how many of you were able to come to the Realign Rochester conference? First ever, you were on, in on the ground floor. We're hoping that that will be first of many. Uh, Jared Wilson did a phenomenal job. In fact, so well that we were thinking about inviting somebody else to speak next year, and we, we might ask him to come back. We'll see. Uh, we really enjoyed the time with him. He's preaching this morning at Journey. Um, I, I got to get in on that deal. I should have had him next year. Next year. I'll tell Steve. Next year we get him or whoever it is. Uh, but great time. It was just so wonderful to get together with, with other churches from around the area Friday night with different church leaders and then throughout the day on Saturday to, to worship and just sit under the teaching of the Word of God. All that to say, while we were in one of our breaks, uh, Jesse, who's the, the keyboard player, he's the worship leader at Grace Road, he, he just asked me, he's like, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And so I told him uh, chapter 10, uh, the Good Shepherd. And, and I said, he's like, are, are you ready? Are you nervous? I'm like, no, I'm not really nervous because it, I said, frankly, it's a passage that preaches itself. It's, it's just, it's so good and so rich and, and I think so well explained and laid out for you. So I'm just going to read the passage. We're going to pray and be dismissed. That's, no, <laughs> that's not true. We're not, like they said, it practically preaches itself, but uh, I have to justify my existence somehow. So I will say a few things about it. But let's start in verses 1 through 6 where Jesus sets the scene of this illustration. He, he calls it a figure. Actually, John calls it in chapter, or verse 6, a figure of speech. So let me read for us verses 1 through 6. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, what is the scene of this passage? We need to understand the immediate context, and John helpfully provides that for us in the quote from Jesus in verse 1. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. So we know who his audience is. These Pharisees are right there with him. Now, as so often happens in the Gospels, Jesus is speaking, he's, he's directing this to the Pharisees, but there's a crowd around listening to this. So it's not just a conversation with the Pharisees, it's also so that others will listen, and of course, so that we today will read about it. But that's the immediate context, he's speaking to these Pharisees. Now, the immediate scriptural context is John chapter 9. I don't know if you know this, but the numbers in your Bible, chapter 10, chapter 9, the little verse numbers, those are not in the originals. 
Okay, they're, they're put in later just to help us find things. It's not like God, when he told John to write this down, said, okay, now put a big 10 right there and now start a little number one. That's not how that worked. These were put in later. They're very helpful to find things. But sometimes you have to ignore them. And this is one of those times when it's helpful to ignore the chapter division. Because chapter 9 and the conversation that happened there flows right into chapter 10. In chapter 9, if you remember... Jesus healed a man that had been born blind. Now, you would think that's a wonderful thing and everybody would celebrate. No. The religious leaders were upset. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. He did this on a Sabbath. He was breaking their law. He was breaking their traditions. And so what do they do? They bring in this guy that's just been healed, this poor guy that's been blind since birth. Now he can see and they bring him in and they just grill him with questions. They accuse him. They end up calling him a sinner and throwing him out because the guy wouldn't say what they wanted to hear. He just kept telling them about Jesus. So it's in that passage where these leaders have brought in somebody that they have authority over and they have been abusive to him at a time in his life when they should have been rejoicing with him. And so what happens in 10 and what Jesus says now is in that context of how they just treated this poor guy. So I think that's helpful to see. There's a greater historical context as well. The image of sheep and shepherds. Uh, Anybody ever been a shepherd? Anybody? One. Really? Like they were your own sheep or your family or you you were, were you paid? You worked on a farm that had sheep. Cool. Okay, so there's one. But it's it was such a common illustration back then. It was something they all would have been familiar with. And throughout the history of Israel, it was used as a picture of leadership. Leaders take care of the people they lead. Shepherds take care of the sheep that they tend. But throughout the history, this didn't always go well. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a powerful illustration of this. And it was a passage we looked at as a church many years ago. Many. Three, four. How long has it been since we introduced eldership? Uh, but I preached on Ezekiel 34. And, and we have every elder, every one of the guys that sits up here as an elder, that, that we ordained as an elder, every single one of them has read Ezekiel chapter 34. It's part of their training. Because in Ezekiel 34, God talks to the shepherds of Israel. And it's not talking about the guys out in the field tending sheep. It's talking about the leaders. And what he says to them is profound. He tells Ezekiel to prophesy against Israel's shepherds. That is something you never want to hear God say to you or to tell anybody to prophesy against you. It means I have a word of judgment toward you. That's a bad thing, in case that wasn't clear. The leaders... We see in Ezekiel 34, rather than caring for the people, leading them for the people's good and God's glory, the leaders were using the people for their own selfish gain. They were hurting the people. They were abusing the people. And God says, after calling them out for what they've been doing in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12, he says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. God tells these leaders, you have blown it. I'm going to shepherd my people now. And so this background, this hope arose in the nation of Israel. 
God is going to shepherd us just as he did in the Exodus and he led us out and just as Moses was used by God to shepherd us. So one day the shepherd of God, God himself will shepherd us. Of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. And so here in this passage, Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. That one that was spoken of back in Ezekiel 34, when you guys were totally blowing it, it's me. I am the good shepherd. Now, there are three key parts I saw in this illustration. I want to point these out to you. And each of the three parts has kind of two possibilities. Okay, so so follow along, I'll show you. The first key part, or, or element, is there are two people or groups of people that are coming into the sheep pen. Two groups of people. The second key part is, is that there are two ways of entering and exiting. And the third is there are two destinations or, or purposes for the sheep. So the two people who come into the sheep pen, the first is, is this one that's identified as the thief and the robber. This is a group of people, can be anybody. The thief and the robber. As you can imagine, those are the bad guys of this story. The second one that comes into the sheep pen is the shepherd. The shepherd is there to care for the sheep. They are his sheep. He loves them. He knows them. He's calling to them. These are two distinguishing features in this group or in this passage. The thief and the robber, that's one group, and the shepherd, the other. And how they enter and exit the sheep pen and what their purpose is for the sheep distinguishes which are which. Now, two ways of entering and exiting. Picture, I think this is pretty obvious, picture a fence and there's a gate in the fence. If you're going to enter the field, you're supposed to go through the gate. That's what it's there for. If you don't belong in the field and they're not your animals, you don't walk around to the gate where somebody might see you. You climb in some other way. So the two ways into the sheep pen are, are first any way up. Anybody that enters any other way other than the gate shouldn't be there. It's not their sheep. It's not their pen. It's not their fence. It's not their gate. The other alternative is to enter through the gate. This is where the shepherd goes through. They are his sheep. He walks through the gate. He calls the sheep. He leads them out through the gate. So we have two ways of entering and exiting. And then we have two purposes or destinations for the sheep. And this comes more later in the passage, but I want to introduce it now. It says the purpose of the thief and the robber, and, and really right there you kind of know, it's a thief and a robber. I mean, they're, they're not really there for the good of the sheep. That's kind of implied in the no- notion of a thief and a robber. But verse 10 tells us they come to kill and destroy. They're there to steal the sheep, to kill them, and destroy them. We see also in this passage the purpose of the shepherd. He comes because those are his sheep. He knows them. He has a relationship with them. They know his voice and he he calls to them. He comes to lead the sheep. They need him. They need his leadership. He's there to lead the sheep for the good of the sheep. Sheep need shepherds. They are a very unique animal. They need a shepherd. They won't survive without it. They don't do well on their own. They're not the brightest animals in the animal kingdom. Their idea of of protecting themselves against danger is to huddle up so the outside ones will get eaten and maybe the inside ones will survive. Not the best way to survive. 
They don't really have any offensive weapons that I'm familiar with. They're really fluffy and cute. I think, you know, maybe they think that'll distract. I don't know. They need a shepherd. They'll also, from what I've read, they'll stay in one place, eat all the grass, and just stay there and die. The shepherd has to take them somewhere else. So, so they constantly take them to a new place so they can eat more grass. Otherwise, they'll just stay and they'll die. They wander off. They get lost. They need the shepherd. They also need protection. There's a lot of things in this world that love to eat sheep because they're an easy meal. And because there are thieves and robbers, those that wanted to break in and steal the sheep. The sheep need a shepherd. And so he sets up these two possibilities. And remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. And it's as if he's saying to the Pharisees, look, you can either be a good shepherd or you can be a thief and a robber. And you'll see where this is going to go. And he says there's two ways. You can either go through the gate or any way that you want to go through. And then he says there's two purposes. You can use the sheep for your own purpose, abuse them, hurt them, steal them, kill them, or you can serve the sheep for their good. Pharisees prided themselves on being the guardians of Israel. They get a bad rap in Scripture, justly. By the time of Jesus, many of them had been corrupted. They did serve for selfish means. I think some of them had the right intentions in mind, but they had this idea that if people would just act like us, they would be more holy and righteous. And they had a long list of rules. And if people would just walk that way, follow their path, walk through their gate, live the way they're telling the people to live, then everything would be fine. And they didn't like Jesus. Because Jesus threatened their authority. They didn't accept who he was. And in this passage, he's going to apply all three of these key characteristics. He is the shepherd. He is the gate. And he is the one who has a purpose for the sheep. So let's look at how he applies this to himself, verses 7 through 10. He starts by identifying with the gate. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the gate. Understand what he's saying there. Because again, going back to the metaphor, the illustration that he's using Any other way into the sheep pen makes you a thief and a robber. Only thieves and robbers use other ways to get in. The one way in is Jesus. That's what he's saying. I am the gate. Now you're standing there and you're a Pharisee. And you've been telling people you need to follow my way. You need to do what I say. You need to live this way. I've added a bunch of rules onto the word of God. And so if you just follow my way, then you'll be saved. And they're looking at Jesus and say, we reject him. He's a demon. They actually call him out and they're like, he's a demon. He's demon possessed. He's not from God. And then Jesus says, I'm the gate. Anybody who comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. He just called out the Pharisees. But think about what this means for us. 
Because there is an obvious application in this passage to who do we listen to, who do we allow to lead us, and this is why as as the elders of this church, we take these things very serious. What are we teaching you? Are we pointing you to Christ or to our own ways of thinking? And I hope you evaluate teachers in your own life, whether you listen to someone on the radio or the internet or authors that you read, or if you go to another church, are they pointing to Jesus Christ? Because if they're not, they're a thief and a robber. That's one application. But as I was thinking about this, I thought there's another one. Because we live in a culture that says to us as individuals, find your own way. It's like we love to walk up to the fences in this world and kick them over and say, find the way that makes you happy. Do whatever you want. And we pride ourselves on that. And Jesus comes and says, I am the way. I am the gate. And what struck me is that when as individuals, we believe that we have to find our own way apart from Jesus. We think we know more than him. We have more authority than him. And we want to decide what we want to do. We are actually becoming the thief and a robber in our own life. And the thief and the robber comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's the great lie of freedom in this world. We think by doing what makes us happy and expressing our own freedom and finding our own way that we're being free. And what Jesus says is, no, you're being stolen and you're killing yourself and destroying your soul. He says, I am the gate. The other irrefutable fact out of this passage is that Jesus is the only way. He is the only way of salvation. I hope and I pray right now that I'm preaching in the choir and all of you are just thinking, of course we know that. But I want to say it and it needs to be said over and over again because we live in a world that says there's many ways to God, there's many ways to happiness. Jesus is saying he is the only way. He's saying it right here. So if you have friends and family members, I'm not saying argue with them or beat them up, but if they're saying, no, the Bible doesn't really say that, take them here. Here's one of many passages you can take them to. He is the only way. And what's the purpose? What's the purpose of going in and out through this gate? Where is it leading? And and the, the other side of this is, what's the purpose of the robber and the thief jumping over the fence? Well, they jump over the fence to grab the sheep and run off so they can kill it and eat it or sell it or whatever. That's their purpose. Verse 10, the robber and the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he's calling out the Pharisees for that. But what's the purpose of the shepherd and the gate? Where does it go to? Verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He says, look, you really have two options. There's the gate and there's everything else. Everything else leads to killing and being destroyed. The gate leads to life and the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. Man, that's not really a tough sell, is it? Here's here's the options. Death and destruction. Life in Jesus Christ. Why do we fight so hard against this truth? Why do we want our own way? Why do we want to to be the Pharisee in our own life and set our own rules and our, our own way of living when Jesus says, I'm calling to you, follow me. Sheep need to go out to the pasture in order to live. 
They can't stay in the pen. They have to live. Jesus as the gate is, is the way out and the way in and he's the relationship with God. And as the shepherd, he's the, also the one leading us through that. Any way that is not through Jesus Christ is not the way of life, but rather the way of the thief and the robber who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But now Jesus goes on and he identifies himself as the good shepherd. Verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. Or there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is saying that the good shepherd, the way that God was going to shepherd his people in Ezekiel 34, is pointing to him. He's the fulfillment of it. Guys, I think there's a universal human truth that we want to be known and loved. I think there's also a universal fear that we will be known and rejected. And into that tension comes this beautiful truth that Jesus is our shepherd that knows us better than we know ourselves still loves us, still seeks us out, still comes to us, still beckons for us to follow us, and still saves us. You have a good shepherd. But there are threats in this world. There are wolves, he says here, coming to the sheep. And he says there are those that are just hired hands. They don't really love the sheep. They don't really care about the sheep. So when the wolf comes, when something is coming to attack the sheep, they run the other way. But what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd runs toward the problem. Now, he's going to talk later about laying down his life for the sheep. And it's interesting because at this point, he's kind of breaking his own metaphor a little bit. Nobody put on on a job requirement of a shepherd, um, plan on dying for the sheep. Like the, Not many people would sign up. Hey, what are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to go die for the sheep. I don't, it's on the agenda. It's what I got to do. They knew, especially the ones that love the sheep, especially if you were a, a child and you were shepherding your flock, that there may come a time. That that sheep was all your, that, that flock was all your family had. And when the wolves come in, you had to do whatever it took. And yes, there were probably times that shepherds die. But I don't know that they woke up in that morning, that morning going, man, I'm really planning on giving my life for the sheep today. Jesus says the way he's going to protect the flock is by giving his life. 
He doesn't say, I'm going to protect them, and as I'm doing that, I might get killed. He says, I am purposefully walking toward the danger that this flock is facing, and I will give my life for them. He knows his sheep, and his sheep knows him, or know him. He ties this relationship that he wants with the flock, and that he has with the flock, into the relationship that he has with the Father. Look at verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I shared in first service that I had some friends. I think I've told you about this family. When I was growing up, my best friend, Jason, um, just wonderful, godly young man, godly family, loved hanging out at their house. My Family was cool, they were great, but I mean, this family was like the epitome of the perfect Christian family. And I know they weren't, I'm sure they had their issues, but that was my mind. I loved being at their house. There, were, there was, uh, my friend Jason was the oldest, he was my age, and then uh, his brother Matt was, I think, two years younger, and then um, their sister Dawn, I think was her name. She was uh, like four years younger. I wanted to marry Dawn. I wanted to marry Dawn. Not, like, she was really cool, but she was way younger than me. I just wanted to be part of the family. That was really it. I thought, this would be awesome. I married Dawn. I get Jason and Matt as brothers. I get their parents as, as my parents. Like, that, this is awesome. I want to be in this family. Um, I'm glad that didn't work out that way, by the way. I love my wife. <laughs> clear that up. But, but you know those people, you're like, that relationship is just so, so beautiful. And I want to be a I want to be a part of that any way I can. I just, it's such a wonderful relationship. Look at what Jesus is saying. I mean, you think about the most perfect relationship in, in, in not just history, but eternity. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son is absolutely perfect, loving, knowing, sinless, no contention, no problems whatsoever. And Jesus is saying that relationship that I have with my Father, that's the relationship I want with you. Furthermore, it's like he's saying, come into this relationship. Come be a part of what what I have with God the Father. I love that invitation. Come, share in this beautiful relationship. And then in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. That phrase, that passage is inscribed on the tombstone of David Livingston, the missionary to Africa. Because for him, that was his driving idea. There are those out there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knows who they are. He knows how they're going to respond. I want to take the gospel to them. What a powerful motivation for ship, for missions. I have sheep, other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. What if we looked at our families that way? What if we looked at our community that way? What if we looked at Rochester that way? There are other sheep. There are people right now not sitting in church, not knowing about Jesus Christ that need to hear the call of the shepherd. Whenever you share the gospel with someone, they're hearing the call of the shepherd saying, come, come, follow me. There are sheep not of this sheep pen says the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd and respond. This is always the mark of true sheep. True followers of Jesus Christ hear his voice, his word, and they follow. And the goal, verse 16, one flock, 
one shepherd. That's one of the things I loved about that conference yesterday. It was just, just a tiny, teeny, tiny little slice. I love the local church. Absolutely love it. But I think sometimes we've gotten so focused on building up, and, and I just mean we, like you, Orchard, you're really awful. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, just Christians. We've gotten so focused on how do we be the best local church we can be, and we forget that we're part of the bigger church. We're part of the church of Rochester. We're part of Christians around this region, around this country, around this world, and throughout history, from the time of Jesus Christ till the time he comes back, that's the church, and you're a part of it if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And we need glimpses of it in this world. And that was one of our hopes for that conference. Let's get gospel-focused, gospel-centered people together and see what God does. And I'm excited about that. Jesus finally says he lays down his life for the sheep. He chose. Nobody took it. Jesus knew and willingly gave his life so that we might live. And just as he willingly gave his life, it was under his authority to do it, so he also took his life back up. It wasn't like, okay, I feel better now. I'll come out of the grave. He chose. That's his authority that he has. He freely gave his life and he freely took it back to rise from the dead. And look at the response. In many ways, this response is what this passage is all about. Verses 19 through 21. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? One group is saying, we don't want to hear what you say, Jesus. We're done with you. You're not in line with what I want. You don't fit what I want to hear. I'm not listening to another thing you say. You're demon-possessed. But there's another group that's saying, there's something about what he's saying. There's something about that voice. I almost think it's like the voice of the shepherd is tugging on them, and they're saying, I want to follow. I don't know that they're quite there yet, and maybe you've been there or are there right now in your life or know someone, but there's, there's an inkling, there's an openness to it. But the passage is about the fact that some will hear the shepherd's voice and follow, and some, some won't. Now, there are two key ideas to understand in this. The true sheep that belong to the shepherd will hear his voice and follow. And the first key idea that comes out of this that is unavoidable in this passage is that the sheep belong to the shepherd before they are even called. That's going to make some of you real uncomfortable right now. I find it inescapable and unavoidable in this passage. Verse 3, he calls his own sheep. He doesn't say he calls and sees who follows and then they're his. He calls his own sheep. Verse 4, his own sheep follow him. Verse 14, the shepherd knows his own sheep. And man, 16 is, I, I can't get around it. Jesus has other sheep. They're already his, and yet they're not part of his flock. And frankly, that's what the book of Acts is all about. The gospel spreading into the Gentile world. So that those that are not of Jewish birth, not of that flock, one day they're going to hear the gospel And this Gentile church is going to start. I'm not Jewish. I don't know if some of you are, but I'm not. 
And when he says, I have, I have other sheep not of this flock, guess what? He's talking about me. That's my story. The Son of God is looking through history and saying, that loser, Dave Day, one day, he's mine. And, and you can put yourself in there too. You could leave out the loser part if it makes you feel better. But he's, he knows you. He knew beforehand. It is inescapable. But let me give you the other key idea. The sheep have a responsibility to listen and respond. God knows. He chooses. We must respond. Look at verse 3. The sheep listen to his voice. Verse 9. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Verses 19 through 21. We see some respond. Some don't. God is absolutely sovereign. No one is saved except by the will of God. None of us can claim, I did it. Man, I got myself to the point I was good enough to God and uh, for God. I fixed myself up. I chose God. He gets all the credit. But we must respond. We are held responsible for our own response. So much damage has been done in the Christian church by trying to reconcile these two ideas. And this is where, and I've said it many times, God is God and I am not. He knows who's his. He knows how that works. We must respond. We must call people to response. We must share the gospel not knowing who's going to respond and trusting and convincing and loving them. They must respond. How do those two things work together? How does God's authority and his sovereignty affect our ability to respond? I don't know. And can I let you in on a secret? I don't have to. And neither do you. Let God figure out the choosing. He's really good at it. He'll do it. You work on sharing the gospel. And and if you're sitting here going... I don't know if I'm chosen or not. I'm just I'm afraid it might not be chosen. Man, if you care about it at all, then the Holy Spirit is working. You follow Jesus. There's two ways. There's the way of Christ as the gate or any other way. Christ leads to life. Any other way leads to destruction. There's two possible leaders that can cause us to follow them. There's Jesus Christ, and then there's all the thieves and robbers. There's two possible destinations. Christ wants to give us life so that we could have life and have it to the full, or death and destruction. How are you going to respond? I mean, it really seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? And yet we kick and we scream and we argue with Christ and we say, you've got to follow our ways and we don't like your ways and we put ourselves in the place of the Pharisees over and over and over again as if we know more than Christ. The shepherd is calling to you. You're hearing his voice right now. Not my voice. When scripture is read and proclaimed, you're hearing the voice of the shepherd. And you're hearing the truth that he knows you. He's done everything to save you. And he's calling you. 
you need to respond. You need to not only respond to receive Christ as your Savior, and and I feel like I say this every week, and I pray and I hope I do say it every week. Because every week I think, maybe, maybe that person that's there, that doesn't want to hear it, and every week is saying, "Eh, whatever, I don't want to hear it. Maybe every week, and maybe that's you, but every week I pray, maybe this is it. Maybe there's something in the Word today, some way that I explain it, something that will help this to cut through. Maybe today is the day. But also, the shepherd calls us to follow him, not just once, but to take us to the pastures where we need to eat, we need to sink down our roots, we need to grow. Jesus, every single day of your life, is saying, come on, follow me. Go where I go. Watch what I'm doing. Pick up his word and read. Follow where he is leading. The shepherd is calling. Will we follow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is an amazing thing to know that our shepherd knows us perfectly and yet comes anyway and beckons us to follow. Has provided the way by by laying down, giving up his life on the cross to pay for our sins, taking all the punishment of our sins upon himself and then raising from the dead. And by doing so, giving us that way of salvation. But then he also comes not only as the way, but as the shepherd beckoning us and saying, I love you. I know you. Come with me. I've got a purpose for you. God, may we choose life. Real life, not not the fake stuff that we settle for and we think will satisfy and meet our needs, but the real life that you have for us through Jesus Christ. And God, may we powerfully be motivated by this idea. You know your sheep. And the gospel is powerful. And may we go out with a confidence saying it doesn't ultimately depend on us. It depends on you. We need to show up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see what you do. May we quit being so afraid that somehow the salvation of others depends on us. And share the gospel with the confidence that it depends on you. And that we might rejoice and give you all the credit and glory when a sinner says yes to the voice of the shepherd. In whose name we pray. Amen.